You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, you know, some of you may remember that old Farsight cartoon where, where there's this kid, he's, he's trying to get into the building and, and he's pushing and pushing and pushing the door. Problem is, is the door clearly says, pull. Now, the kicker is, he was a student at the Midvale School for the Gifted and Talented. <laughs> so, I, I share that with you because, you, we, as we said, we, we are now entering into this, this new section in the book that deals with spiritual gifts. But when it came to spiritual gifts, the Corinthians, in many ways, saw themselves as gifted and talented. And yet, as it turns out, they weren't really gifted and talented. In fact, they were actually gifted but ignorant. Gifted but ignorant. Now, here's why I say they were ignorant. It's because of that word uninformed in verse 1. When, when Paul says again, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, uh, in, in, in different English translations, like, like the New King James, for example, or maybe the NIV, for example, they don't use the word uninformed. Those translations use a much harsher word. They use the word ignorant. Now, I think that's the better rendering. I think that's the, the best translation. Now, here's why I say that. I say it's the better rendering because remember, the book of 1 Corinthians was a confrontational book. Paul was confronting the Corinthians. And if you remember, one of the things the Apostle Paul is confronting the Corinthian church about was their pride. Their, their pride. You see, they were a very gifted church, but at the same time, they were a very arrogant church. They were a very prideful church. This is a church that took a lot of pride in how, how, how spiritual they were. It took a lot of pride in their spiritual gifts. Now, they may have been gifted, but they were also ignorant on how to use those gifts correctly, how to use those gifts biblically, and that's why the Apostle Paul now sets aside the next three chapters, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, to, to correct their misuse of those gifts, their, their abuse of those gifts, their ignorance of those spiritual gifts. So now again, as we look at verse 1, we, you know, Paul points out that they were ignorant, but what he's confronting here are really two extremes of ignorance. There were two different extremes of ignorance in that church, and he's confronting both extremes. And so again, in verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Or again, the New King James, ignorant. Now, whenever we bring up the subject of spiritual gifts, you know, you know, we, we, we always see two extremes on spiritual gifts, right? You know, on the one end, you might have like, like the crazy charismatic extreme who, who basically live by the motto of, hey, the weirder, the better. But then over here on this other extreme, you might have the fundamentalist who, who say that these things have ceased. They're no longer for today. And, and they're like, hey, those things are so weird, we don't want anything to do with them. Now, I think the word ignorant really confronts both extremes. Uh, you know, when he says, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant, that word ignorant or uninformed is the Greek term agnoeo. Now, literally, it means a lack of knowledge. So now this would, would, would confront one extreme, you know, who, who uh, they, 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 they have the gifts, but they don't have the knowledge. There's a lack of knowledge. But what's interesting about this word, uh, uninformed or ignorant or agnoeo in, in the Greek, it can literally be translated agnostic. Agnostic. And so it's almost as if with one word, the Apostle Paul was able to confront both extremes. Because on the one hand, you had those who, who on one extreme, they, 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 they had the gifts and, they, and they, they, they had these abilities and they were using these gifts, but they lacked the knowledge. They were ignorant about those gifts. 
You see, they were operating in this gift and in that gift, but they were ignorant as to what the Bible actually taught about spiritual gifts. And so because of their ignorance, there was all sorts of abuse. There, 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 was, there was chaos. There was all this pandemonium, all this craziness happening. And so therefore, on the other end of the extreme was this other group who, who kind of had a knee-jerk reaction when it came to spiritual gifts. And because they saw this abuse, in many ways, they were sort of like, like spiritual gift agnostics. You know, they, they're kind of looking at it and they're like, you know, I'm not really sure if that's the Holy Spirit or not. I'm not really sure if the Holy Spirit moves that way. I'm not really sure if, if, if that's what God does and, and His Spirit does. But all I know is, is I'm kind of skeptical. And so they were skeptical about the ministry of the Holy Spirit altogether. And so in one word, he deals with both extremes. When he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be ignorant. Something else interesting about verse 1 is that word gifts, when he says now concerning spiritual gifts, did you know that in the original Greek manuscripts, that word gifts does not appear in the Greek manuscripts? It was inserted, it was added later by the English translators so that the passage would read a little smoother. So it would, it would tie into the context. Remember, the, the context of the passage is about spiritual gifts, so they inserted the word so that it would connect the thought, so it would read a little smoother. But in the original Greek manuscripts, it would literally just read, now concerning spirituals. Now, I, I think that's actually the intended meaning. I, I think that's the, the accurate meaning. You, you see, if, if you remember in context, up until this chapter, the Apostle Paul had been confronting the carnality of the Corinthian church. Remember, this, this was a church that, that was filled with division and, and, and drunkenness and, and sexual sin, including incest and, and even prostitution. And so this was a, a church that was, that was all sorts of, of carnal and fleshly and sinful. But now all of a sudden in chapter 12, it's as if Paul now is, is shifting gears and, and he's no longer talking about the carnality in the church. Now he's talking about spirituality in the church. Now concerning spirituals. But the problem with the Corinthian church was that when it came for them to, to use their spiritual gifts, when it came to them, you know, being spiritual, even the way they were trying to be spiritual was actually carnal. It was actually fleshly. It was actually sinful. So Paul's going to confront two extremes. Now, again, on the one extreme are those who were gifted but ignorant. Now, by the way, we, we know that the Corinthian church, they were spiritually gifted. They had gifts. How do we know that? Well, if you go all the way back to chapter 1, you remember in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul said, you do not lack any spiritual gift. And so this was a church that, that had all the spiritual gifts. All the gifts were in operation in this church. I mean, they were speaking in tongues. They were prophesying. There were words of wisdom and, and words of knowledge. They, they had this gift and that gift. They were not lacking any spiritual gift. What they were lacking was knowledge. You, you see, you might say that they were overemphasizing God's gifts and they were underemphasizing God's word. They had the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable so to say. And so, and so there, there, there was this, this craziness was taking place, so this extreme that was taking place. And, 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 and so because they were underemphasizing the scriptures, all this chaos broke out. And so as a result, now there's this other extreme that's happening where people see the craziness, they see the abuse, and, and they don't want anything to do with it. They basically have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. By the way, has anybody ever actually done that? You know, you're like, you know, where is the baby? I guess we threw him out with the bathwater. 
Listen, that's not good. Don't do that. But you see, in, in, in a sense, that's what a lot of Christians do. You know, a, a lot of Christian ministries and a lot of churches, we, we, you know, we, we see something crazy take place, we have a knee-jerk reaction, and we throw the baby out with the bathwater. So we see all this abuse in the spiritual realm that takes place, and some of us, we've thrown the ministry of the Holy Spirit out all together because we want to avoid the craziness. And so what ends up happening is, is you have a lot of Christians and a lot of ministries that are trying to do ministry in their own strength, without the Spirit. They're trying to do ministry in their own abilities. In fact, A.W. Tozer years ago made this observation. He said, quote, if the Holy Spirit were taken away from the New Testament church, 90% of what they did would come to a halt. But if the Holy Spirit were taken away from the modern church, only 10% of what we do would come to a halt. You see, back then in the New Testament, they relied on the Holy Spirit. But in our day, we, we, we have technology. And we can rely on, 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 on mechanisms and, 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 and techniques and, and, and all these different things. But what we're going to see in this passage this morning is that, tech, uh, truthfully, both extremes are just as wrong. You know, on the one hand, it's wrong to abuse the Holy Spirit. But then again, on, on the other hand, it's just as wrong to ignore the Holy Spirit. Both extremes are just as wrong. So I think that the key... The, the key word when it comes to this discussion is the word balance. The word balance. In fact, you know, uh, oftentimes over the years, I've often been asked by, by, by people, oftentimes even by pastors of other churches, they'll be like, hey, you guys at Calvary Chapel, what are you guys? When, you know, what, what do you believe about spiritual gifts? I mean, are you guys like, like charismatic or, or are you guys like, like fundamental? Are, are, are you Baptist or are you like, you know, Pentecostal? And they always scratch their heads and, and, and get a little baffled when I smile and I say none of the above. We're like fundamatic Bapticostals. You know, we, we, we believe in, in, in the whole counsel word. Yeah, we, we believe in, in the gifts. We believe in all of the gifts for today, but we also believe in the whole counsel of God's word. Listen to this. In the New Testament, there's somewhere between 19 to 21 spiritual gifts, depending on how you parse the Greek. And, and, and I'm here to tell you that I believe in every single one of them. Every one of them is still for today. But I also believe that 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40 is for today. 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, Let all things be done decently and in order. You see, there's the balance. The verse is saying, let all things be done, but when they're done, they should be done decently and in order. And the problem with the Corinthian church is they were out of order. Yeah, they had all the gifts, but they were ignorant about the Scripture, what the Scripture taught about those gifts. And so there was all this craziness. There was, there was this abuse. There was all this stuff happening. And, and, and so as a result, you had two different extremes. And, and, and Paul is really confronting both extremes because both extremes are equally wrong. And so now, not only does he now tell them that they were ignorant, now in verse 2, he then tells them that they were, past tense, were pagans. So again, in verse 2, Paul says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. So now it's interesting. Paul now is, is bringing up their past, and he's reminding them of, of their past. He's, he's, he's reminding them that they once were pagans. So we wonder, well, why is Paul reminding them of their past? Well, you know, you need to realize that, that, that paganism of ancient times was very experientially based very experientially based. In fact, many of these Corinthians that are now Christians, they, they, they got saved out of a background where, where, where they were a part of a worship system called the, the mystery religions. 
Now, as part of the mystery religions, worshipers, they, they, they would go uh, to these, these services and they kind of work themselves into a frenzy. Uh, and, and during the time, there'd be like wild dancing. And, and then when the spirit of that God that they were worshiping would move among the people, some people would literally fall to the ground as if they were dead. Other people, uh, they, they would start shaking uncontrollably and others would, would utter ecstatic tongues of, of like unknown languages. And, and, and other people, uh, they, they would kind of move on the ground in, in, in all kinds of weird gyrations. There'd be animal movements and even animal noises. And so this was the, the background of many of the Corinthians. They, they came out of this, this mystery religion. Now what's interesting is that's how, that's how it worked in ancient times, but even in modern times today, uh, like with modern day Hinduism, for example, we see the same thing taking place. For example, you might have a, a, a yoga master, a, a yogi, or, or a guru, as they're called, you know, and, you know, like, like, like Bhagwan Sri Rashanish, or another master named uh, uh, Swami Baba Muktananda. Now these are men who, who in the Hindu system that they're in, they practice what's called the, the release of kundalini energy. Now, kundalini energy basically is, is you know, this, this yogi master is going to come and they're going to touch you. They're going to lay their hand on you. And when they touch you, they transfer their kundalini energy off of them and onto you. And now when you receive that kundalini energy, there's going to be a reaction. Maybe you start shaking uncontrollably. Maybe you start speaking in, a, in an unknown language, an unknown tongue, an ecstatic tongue. Maybe you laugh uncontrollably. Uh, maybe you fall to the ground and kind of gyrate, or, or maybe you, you start making animal noises and animal movements. What we're saying is that even in modern-day Hinduism, we see the exact same thing that was taking place with the ancient mystery religions of the Apostle Paul's day. And so what Paul's doing is, is, is Paul's r- 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 reminding them that, that many of these Corinthians had come from a spiritual background, where, where, where they were now predisposed to believe that, 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 that spirituality is experiential. That when something spiritual is happening, you're going to encounter something. You're going to, to experience something. So they were predisposed because of their pagan mindset to think that way. And Paul's bringing that up. You see, one of the things that Paul wants to clear up right away about spirituality, about spiritual gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit, as he wants them to realize that, that, that their experience as pagans and pagan spirituality does not apply to their new spirituality as born-again Christians. That, that it's different. It's different now that the Holy Spirit doesn't move that way. The Holy Spirit doesn't operate that way. The, 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 the way the Holy Spirit moves was not what they experienced when they were pagans. In fact, he's called the Holy Spirit. That word holy, it's a Greek word that means uh, set apart. It means unique. It means different. He's different than anything or anyone else. He works differently. He moves differently. I bring that up because, you know, over the years, I've met people, and I'm sure you have too, I've met people who, who've gotten saved and come from like, like an occultic background or a background of witchcraft. And yet now they're Christians, now they're saved, but, but, but they still kind of want to, you know, do what they used to do. You know, and so they, they still want to kind of use those, those, those things that they had before, but now they want to do it under the power of the Holy Spirit. So they, they want to use the, 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 the power of the Holy Spirit to help them co- to, co- to communicate with the dead, even though the Bible clearly condemns communicating with the dead. Or, you know, they, they want to use the Holy Spirit to, to you know, uh, tell the future, to, to, to do this or do that. Or they want to tap into the Holy Spirit to, to have the same kind of encounter or experience they used to have in the occult. In fact, on that note, uh, it's interesting. There's, a, there's a, a so-called Christian ministry called Christ Alignment. 
Uh, now, Christ Alignment's based in Australia, although they do have loose connections to a, to a church in Redding, California called Bethel. Uh, but this, this group called Christ Alignment, uh, they, they use basically Christian tarot cards as part of their ministry. Now, they would never call it a tarot card. In fact, they flat out deny that it is a tarot card. But when you look at the videos of what they're doing, you go, yeah, that's basically a tarot card with a Christian twist. Like a tarot card with a Holy Spirit twist. It's almost as if, hey, you know, we came out of this new age background, this occultic background, and, and we want to do what we used to do, but, you know, we want to put like a Holy Spirit flavor to it. You know, and speaking of experiential spirituality, some of you may remember back in the 90s, there was this thing that, that broke out at the time called holy laughter, where guys like Benny Hinn and other guys like How, uh, Rodney Howard Brown, they would go on tour, basically, and, and they, would, they would conduct these moments of ministry where supposedly the Holy Spirit moved and people would uncontrollably laugh. They just couldn't help themselves. They'd just be laughing out of control. And then that evolved into animal noises, where people during church would literally start barking like dogs, meowing like cats, clucking like chickens. It was like old McDonald's farm. You know, here a cow, there a cow, here a pig, there an oink oink here, an oink oink there. You're like, what is happening to church? And then that evolved into the early 2000s in, in, into something called Holy Ghost Bartending, where now evangelists would show up at a church service and, and the Spirit would move and people would literally get drunk in the Holy Spirit. And then that evolved into something called Token the Ghost, where you know you were getting stoned, you're getting high on the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, we've seen churches that literally have barf buckets in the aisles in case you want to vomit up demons during church. And then we've all seen the whole slain in the Spirit thing. Now, I highlight all this and, 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 and go over that simply to say, you know, it, it's interesting that many of the same things that people today are claiming to be the work of the Holy Spirit, we actually saw were being experienced by the ancient pagans in the Apostle Paul's day in these so-called mystery religions. Well, that's just a counterfeit of, of, of the Holy Spirit. Well, then why did they have it first? You know, don't you counterfeit the original? And so if the pagans have it, why are we counterfeiting? Anyway, so, but it was, it was actually practiced in ancient times. In fact, it's still practiced in modern day pagan forms, you know, whether it's Hinduism or, or witchcraft or the occult or, or new age mysticism. And so why is the apostle Paul, you know, uh, reminding them their past? Why is he saying, you know, you were pagans led astray, but nevertheless, you were led astray? Why? Well, because he, he wants them to know that Christianity is not just relabeled paganism. It's not just repackaged paganism. It's not paganism with a Holy Spirit flair. That it's, it's different. The Holy Spirit is unique. He's holy. He's set apart. In fact, it may help us to, to, to remember what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is. Remember, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we're told that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Emphasis on self-control. And so this whole idea that, that, that you know, somebody says, oh man, the, the Spirit just came upon me and I, and I couldn't help myself. I just lost control. Listen, that was actually a pagan teaching. That's not what the Scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Reminds me of that meme I've shared with you a hundred times before. Uh, that meme that says, if your Holy Ghost just makes you run and dance, but doesn't help you live holy, then, then it's not the Holy Ghost, it's just ADHD. <laughs> Think of it this way. 
if, 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 if you've truly received the Holy Spirit, if you're truly filled with the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's truly moving in your midst, then you're going to be supernaturally natural. You're not going to be crazy. You're not going to be weird. You're not going to be out of control because one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And so the Apostle Paul in, in chapters 12, 13, and 14 goes out of his way to emphasize self-control. That yeah, he, he, he talks about all these gifts and, and they're all real and they're all very necessary, but he goes over and over again on the order that they're to be conducted, that they're to be done decently and in order. There's an element of self-control when the Holy Spirit's involved. And so, yeah, he, he brings up the fact that, that, that they were ignorant. There's two extremes of ignorance that he's confronting. And then he reminds them that they were pagans. And it could be that their pagan past is, is influencing their current Christian spiritual behavior. They're behaving more like pagans than like the Holy Spirit who's in them who has self-control. But now, the takeaway in verse 3 that he has for them is, is that they have been empowered. They were empowered. Verse 3, he says again, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, evidently, in that day, there was, there was a rumor that went around saying, hey, you know, you've got to watch out for this Holy Spirit stuff. You know, because if you get filled by the Holy Spirit, then you, know, you might start speaking in tongues, and, and you don't even know what you're saying. I mean, for all you know, you might be cursing Jesus in an unknown language. You know, if you curse Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And so now Paul, you know, he's making it very clear that that's just like not even possible. He's like Dwight Schrute. He's like false. Okay, he's, just, you know, he's just not possible. He's like, and so he's going to clear him up. He's like, listen, if, if it's really the Holy Spirit who's in you, and if the Holy Spirit is really moving in you, you're not going to curse Jesus. No, you're going to glorify Jesus. How do we know that? Do you remember what, what Jesus said regarding the Holy Spirit? Jesus, in John chapter 15, verse 26, said, When the Helper, that, that, that's the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And so the whole ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he, he, he glorifies Jesus. He bears witness of Jesus. He testifies of Jesus. And so it stands to reason that if the Holy Spirit is actually in you, Holy Spirit is actually flowing through you, well, then you're not going to curse Jesus. You're going to glorify Jesus because that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit's ministry. He testifies of Jesus. He bears witness of Jesus. At least that's what, what, what Jesus told his apostles. His 12 disciples, remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon you to make you weird, to make you crazy. No, the Holy Spirit comes upon you to make you witnesses, to empower you to be his witness in this world. Like the way Paul Smith, who is the brother of, of, of Chuck Smith. Now, Pastor Chuck Smith was, was the founder of Calvary Chapel. And his older brother, Paul, said this. He said, the power of the Holy Ghost promised in the first chapter of Acts is not given uh, that, that the Christian may enjoy a, an unusual religious experience. No, it's given that the Christian may take the gospel to the world. We don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who empowers us. To, to be Jesus' witnesses, to reach people for Jesus. 
And so they were empowered. They may, have, they may have had a crazy background. They may be confusing things. But at the end of the day, they don't need to be afraid of the Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit's not going to cause them to curse Jesus. The Holy Spirit will help them to glorify Jesus. And now with that, I want us to fast forward, skip ahead over to, to verse 7. Because kind of the takeaway for, for them, as well as for us, was that you are gifted. Listen to this, you are gifted for a purpose. You're gifted for a reason. There is a reason you have spiritual gifts. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Emphasis on the common good. Now we'll talk about this more next week, but, but here's the idea. The, the idea is Paul is telling these Corinthians, he's saying, hey, listen, you know, when, when you were pagans, you, you, were, you were seeking spiritual encounters, you, you were seeking spiritual you know, manifestations for your own benefit, you know, for, for your own good. But now that you're Christians, now that you're born again, now that the Holy Spirit's in you, you're going to discover that these manifestations of the Spirit are not for you, they're not for your benefit, they're not for your good, they're for the common good of the body. It's not for you to get something out of it. It's for the body to be blessed by it. In fact, a little bit later on in, in, in chapter 12, Paul is going to use a, uh, the analogy of a, of a human body and all these different body parts, whether it's the eyes and, and, and the hands and the feet or, or even internal organs. But the picture is that they're all working together in harmony. They're, they're all in unison and they're all working together for the same common goal, for the same common purpose. Uh, these, these body parts all work together for the common good of the whole body. And Paul uses that word picture to really illustrate that that's how spiritual gifts are supposed to work. That, that spiritual gifts, that, that, that if they're used correctly, if they're used biblically, it's never going to be for your benefit. It's going to be for the benefit of the body, the common good of the body. In other words, you're not coming to, to, to a worship service hoping to, to, to feel something. You're not coming to a worship service hoping to encounter something. No, you're coming hoping to be empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, to be used for His glory to edify and strengthen His body. That there's somebody who needs ministry from the Holy Spirit through you. And so you're coming to be a conduit. You're coming to, to be used by God because somebody needs what you have. I love the way uh, Bruce Bugby uh, put it in his, in his work titled, What You Do Best in the Body of Christ. He says, quote, Spiritual gifts are divine abilities distributed by the Holy Spirit to every believer according to God's design and grace for the common good of the whole body of Christ. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to discover what these spiritual gifts are, how they work, how they function, and, and we're going to discover that, that you probably have some of these spiritual gifts. Every one of you, if, if you're a Christian, that is, every Christian has a spiritual gift. In fact, you probably have more than one spiritual gift. But at the same time, we'll discover that we don't all have the same spiritual gifts. Listen to this. It's not true when some movement out there tells you that if you're born again, you will speak in tongues. We don't all have the same spiritual gifts. We're going to discover we all have different gifts. We have different gifts, just like we have different body parts. You have, a, an, you have eyes and ears and hands and feet. We all have different gifts, but it's all for the same common good. 
Think of it like a, like a church potluck. Shouldn't be too hard to picture that. We have them all the time. Uh, you know, but you know, you, you, here you are. You, you've, you, you've gone through the line. You've loaded up your plate. And you just you know, stacked it up like you're never going to eat again. You know, so you've got food everywhere. And then you grab this big old slab of, of chocolate cake and you put it right there on the edge. And you start turning and, and, and walking. And what happens? Boom, it flips. And there goes the whole thing right there on the floor. Now, somebody with the gift of prophecy might look at that and say, that's what happens when you're not careful. Yeah, thank you very much, Captain Obvious. Then again, somebody with the gift of service might come up and go, oh, hey, let, let me help you clean that up. But then again, somebody who, who has the gift of teaching, you know, they might analyze it and they might look at it and say, well, hey, you know, the, the reason that cake fell was because you loaded the plate up too much on this side. And according to the law of physics, you know, this is going to happen. So they're talking about rotational access and all this other stuff. You're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then again, you know, somebody with the gift of exhortation, they might come up and say, hey, you know, next time, maybe you should let people help you. You're trying to do too much. You should probably learn from this. And then somebody with the gift of giving, and by the way, we're going to discover that giving is actually a spiritual gift. So somebody with the gift of giving might, might come up and say, oh, hey, you can have my cake. And then finally, somebody with the gift of mercy might just put their arm around you and say, you know, uh, don't worry about it. Don't feel so bad. It could have happened to anybody. And so we all have different gifts. We're all used differently, but it's for the same common purpose. It's for the body. Now, you know, there's not ignorance when it comes to spiritual gifts. I mean, you know, for example, some of us, you know, we, 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 we don't know what our spiritual gifts are. You know, so you might say that we're quote-unquote ignorant about spiritual gifts because we've, we've never actually taken the time to really study the scriptures to see what the Bible says about spiritual gifts because, frankly, we're afraid of them. And that's why, hopefully, over the next several weeks, we'll discover what these spiritual gifts are, how they work, and why you need them in your life. You'll discover that God has given you gifts. He's equipped you to, to bring glory to him and to edify his body, to strengthen his body. He wants to use you. But then again, there's others who, you know, they, they see the craziness, they see the abuse, and, and so frankly, they've shied away. They don't want anything to do with the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it's like they're trying to do spiritual work without the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Christian life is a spiritual life. You can't do it without the Spirit. That's why Zechariah 4.6 tells us that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I've tattooed that on my shoulder just so I don't forget that. I don't know why, because I can't see my shoulder. It was like the dumbest place to put a personal reminder. It's by his spirit. But so many of us, we, 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 try, to, we try to do it without the spirit. One of my favorite illustrations, I, I've used it so many times. In fact, I think I use it 2,000 times just this week alone. But it's, it's, it's the old story of, 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 of one time at the Rose Bowl parade, there was, there was this float that just came to a, a halt. It just died, sputtered right there on the spot. And, and people started trying to push it, but it wouldn't move. And they weren't able to get it to move until somebody showed up with a gas can, put a little gas in it, and, and, and they were able to get it out of the way. Now, the ironic thing is that this float that had run out of gas, it was a float for the Standard Oil Company. <laughs> And the same thing happens to so many of us that are Christians. We, we, we've been transformed by the Holy Spirit, but now we want to do it without the Holy Spirit. We insist on, 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 on doing it on empty. We, 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 you know, just, just living empty. That reminds us, you know, there, there's others who, who, who you know, they, they don't even know if they've received the Holy Spirit or not. You, know, you talk to them and they're not sure if they've ever received the Holy Spirit. It kind of reminds me of the, the group of guys that, that Paul was talking to uh, in, in the city of Ephesus. 
You know, Paul shows up, he's in the city of Ephesus, he, he meets these guys who, who are not only believers in Jesus, but they're actually in the ministry. They're preaching the gospel. And yet Paul asks them in Acts chapter 19, verse 2, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And, and they said, no, we, we, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so they're, 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 they're in the ministry, they're, they're preaching the gospel, and they don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit. I love Spurgeon's comment on this. Spurgeon said, not knowing if you have the power of the Holy Spirit is like not knowing if you've been electrocuted. Listen, if you've been electrocuted, you'd know. And so Paul prays for these guys that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, and the Holy Spirit did come upon them. And the proof that he came upon them is that some of them spoke in tongues and others prophesied. Now, listen, not everyone speaks in tongues or prophesied. As I said earlier, there are between 19 to 21 different spiritual gifts, and we don't all have the exact same spiritual gifts. But the point is, is that, is that it's completely possible to be serving the Lord in his ministry without his Holy Spirit. Just a, a parade float on empty. You're in the parade, but there's no fuel. Yeah, in fact, really, in many ways, that describes the early ministry of Billy Graham. And as the story goes early on in Billy Graham's ministry, you know, he, he would conduct these crusades and, and, and only dozens would come. And, and sometimes no one would come forward, or if they did, it was like one or two that would come forward to receive Christ. And he was getting very frustrated, getting very exhausted, and, and, and he was talking to a friend who, who was a, a Welsh uh, evangelist, and, and he was saying, you know what, the same thing happened in his ministry until, until God transformed his ministry, changed his ministry. And Billy Graham said, well, what happened? What changed? He said, well, I, I, I received the Holy Spirit in my life, and, and my ministry was never the same. And as this guy was talking, Billy Graham realized that that's what was missing in his ministry. So he went home, and in the privacy of his own home, he just prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to come upon him and empower him. And there were no bells and whistles. He didn't speak in tongues. His head didn't spin around or anything like that. He just, he just prayed and went to bed. But people say that from that moment on, there was a marked difference in his ministry. It was never the same. And now suddenly, it was no longer dozens, but thousands that were coming, and thousands upon thousands that were coming forward to receive Christ. And as we know, uh, under the ministry of Billy Graham today, multiple millions have received Christ because of his ministry. But it wasn't by might, it wasn't by power, it was by the Spirit, as Zechariah 4, 6 reminds us. And listen, I'm here to tell you that, that God wants to use you. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace of God given to us, let us use them. And so that verse in Romans is reminding us that, that not only do you have spiritual gifts, but God actually wants you to use them. He wants you to use the gift that you have. Now, that brings us to another group. You see, there are some who have spiritual gifts, they're just not using them at the moment. You know, it actually reminds me of Timothy the young protege of the Apostle Paul's ministry. In fact, on one occasion, Paul wrote uh, Timothy this. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now listen, Paul's concern for Timothy wasn't that Timothy would discover what his spiritual gift was. He wasn't telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, take one of those spiritual gift assessment tasks and, and find out how you're gifted. No, the concern was that Timothy already knew what his gift was. He just wasn't using it. So Paul tells him to stir up the gift he already has, the gift that's already in him, to stir it up. Now, what's interesting is, is in the Greek, that phrase stir up really speaks of a fire that's growing cold, a fire that's dying out, a, a flame that's growing dim. 
And so, you know, you need to stir it up. You need to grab that poker. You need to kind of stir up the coals. You need to fan the flame back into flame. And so what this is telling us is that, you know, maybe you've come to a point in your spiritual life where your spiritual life is kind of stale. It's kind of stagnant. It's lifeless, and and it's just getting colder and colder. What that means is you need to stir up the flame. How do you stir up the flame? By using the gift that is in you. Some of you have gifts. You know what the gift is, and you're just not using it, and your flame's growing cold. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to discover what these spiritual gifts are, how they work, why we need them, and hopefully you'll be provoked to put them into action, to get that fire, that passion burning once again. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.